Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. What is up, my friend? Graham Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are on episode 199. We are one week away from episode 200. I'm super excited about that. Can't wait to share that with you next week. Make sure if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss a single episode of uh, what we have to share with you. All right. Okay. So today we've got another special guest. We're doing kind of a, a different type of episode here. Now, as I mentioned to you last week, if you heard it, and if you didn't, you can go back and check it out. We have a brand new training program that is now available called Beyond the Stage. Now we have a lot of speakers that reach out and say, okay, we're interested in, in building a, an online training program, a course, or or maybe perhaps uh, doing coaching or consulting or writing a book, which is what we're going to be talking about today, or interested in affiliate marketing or doing webinars or building an email list or social media or blogging or podcasting. And so we've taken all of those, we put those together in a roadmap system, a roadmap blueprint of exactly how you could go about building your business beyond the stage. It's going to be custom to you because for some of you, maybe you're listening going, all right, I want to write a book. And for some of you, you're like, I don't want to write a book, but I'd love to do consulting. Someone else say, I don't want to do consulting, but I'd love to do a course. And so we're going to walk you through exactly how to do that in a way that makes sense for you. So this new training program, we actually have a free live training that we're going to be doing today, the day that this episode comes out, August the 21st, that we'd love for you to check out. You can check that out by going over to thespeakerlab.com slash beyond. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash beyond. Again, we're going to be doing some free training. It's going to be teaching you exactly how you should be building your business beyond the stage. Now, perhaps you're going to be listening to this in the future and that date has already come and gone. That's okay. Make sure that you still go ahead and register. We can send you out the replay for that and uh, get you some more information on the program if that's something that you are interested in. All right. Once again, we would love for you to join us. Again, you can find that over at thespeakerlab.com slash beyond. All right. So today with Jeff Goins, we're going to be talking about all things publishing. We're going to talk about self-publishing, traditional publishing, hybrid publishing, talk about the differences, the pros and cons between all of them, when it makes sense for pursuing one option versus another. So a lot of great stuff here. And I want you to know that this interview is actually one that we've taken from our Beyond the Stage resources. So within Beyond the Stage, we did over 20 different expert interviews on a variety of different subjects and topics, industry experts. And so this is one of those interviews that we've pulled from the course to share with you here, just to kind of give you a little sneak peek, a little preview of what you're going to be getting inside the Beyond the Stage program. So hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Mr. Mr. Jeff Goins talking all things publishing. Hey there, my friends, Graham Baldwin today, joined by my good friend, Mr. Jeff Goins. And today we're going to be talking about all things publishing, traditional publishing, self-publishing, hybrid publishing, and figuring out which is the best for you. So uh, first of all, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. How are you, man? You talk so fast. <laughs> I'm trying to. Talk. We got a, we got a lot to cover, man. We got a lot to get to. 
I'm great. I haven't shaved in days. I'm ready to do this. Perfect. You've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> this moment has arrived. So you've prepped well. All right. Yes. So first of all, before we get into it, why don't we give some context for you? Because you've done all three of these. I've got a little, yeah. little bit of experience with a couple of them. So kind of walk us through your journey with publishing as it relates to the, the traditional versus self versus hybrid. Yeah. So when I started writing, I got a book deal early on. My, my blog was less than a year old and a book publisher reached out and said, Hey, do you want to publish a book with us? And I was like, is this real? And obviously I, I think it goes out saying that, that that's a you know big deal for any writer. It's sure. kind of a dream come true. Happened really quickly. Wasn't a lot of money. And so I got a traditional book contract at the end of 2011. And I think the advance was like five or $6,000. But it was a good thing for me as a writer helping other writers because it legitimized me as an authority in that space. And that was one of the reasons I took it. And I just also was like, this is an honor and I want to see what I can learn from this. And so it was a, a good start. And about six months after that, <laughs> but right after that, I think we got pregnant with our son. And six months after that, you know, we're trying to make plans for what life is going to look like when Aiden was born and Ashley wanted to quit her job. And I uh, didn't, we didn't, we couldn't afford that. And so I was like, okay, I got this book advance for five grand, but I need a little bit more. And I still wasn't making any money with my blog, really. I'd kind of done these one-off things, you know, affiliate marketing, a few hundred bucks a month here, there. So I had heard of a friend self-publishing a book and she made $40,000 in two months. Wow. And, I, and it was an ebook. And so I was like, Okay, I'll do that. You know, and I, I called her and I basically said, What did you do? And she told me everything that she did. And so then I started writing. At this point, I had turned in a manuscript for my first book, which was the traditional book. I turned that into the publisher, but I needed to make some money. We were a few months away from our son being born. And so I started writing this self-published book for my audience and you know, the, about writing called You Are a Writer to so Start Acting Like One. While book one was being edited. Book two was written and published in like 30 days. Wow. And you ended up making like $50,000 off that wow. book that year. And it was a precursor to my course. Tribe Writers made another, you know, 100,000 plus off of that in the next few months. And so those two things, the book and the course, really launched my business. Right. And then the other book came out, Wrecked, which was a traditionally published book. It was more about making a difference finding your purpose, that sort of thing. And it came from my experience working for a nonprofit organization. So yeah, that, that year I had two books come out. That book did really well. I probably made another 20,000 off of that in royalties because it uh, recouped its advance pretty yeah. quickly. So, you know, those two things together sort of launched me. But yeah, I mean, my first year as an author, I had a self-published book and a traditionally published book. And so very early on, I had this perspective of, when does this make sense? When does this not make sense? I know at any time I can do this myself. So if I'm going to work with a publisher, what, what am I going to get out of this? And, and what am I going to bring to the table? And so over the years, I've published five books, one self-published, four traditionally published, and one that was kind of a hybrid deal. And each deal is just kind of its own thing. And you and I working through your book deal we were just, you know, we, you talk about all the different pieces. What is the pro? What is the con? What are you going to bring to the table? What are they going to bring to the table? And so I don't think there's any one size fits all. People ask all the time, should it be self-publishing or traditionally publishing? Sometimes we can sort of over inflate the importance of getting a book deal. Mm -hmm. And so it's not right for everyone. And, and sometimes 
we can also sort of underestimate some of the things that a publisher brings to the table. So it's just understanding why do you want, what are you going to do with this book, really? Why do you want a you know, book deal or a book out into the world? What are you willing to do and, and what would you like somebody else to do for you? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, uh, and, and like you mentioned there, I actually self-published a book uh, a few years ago yeah. when I was doing a lot of speaking with, uh, with high school students. And so, so we sold about 30,000 copies of that. And then yes. you mentioned that you and I are in the thick of, uh, we just signed a book deal a couple months ago to be working on a project together for a traditionally published book for speakers that will be out in 2019 at some point. So yeah. uh, so we're kind of going down that path at the moment there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're exactly right. There's a lot of pros and cons to each. So let's dig into that. Let's start by talking about traditional because that's again, like the, the one that most people are, are familiar with. And they kind of assume like you alluded to that, well, if I just, if I can just get a book deal, like oftentimes we look at it as like this magical unicorn. If I can just get this book deal, like it's going to propel me into this, this whole new level of, of stardom or whatever fame in the same way that I think oftentimes speakers view, like if I can just get a Ted talk, then my whole life's right. going to change. Yeah. And it's like, that's it could, but the right. likelihood of that happening is very, very small. So let's kind of talk through, first of all, what is a traditionally published book? What does that mean? Yeah, that means that you're working with a publishing company of any size, big or small, and they are in charge of editing the book, printing the book, and distributing the book. So most books at a bookstore are traditionally published books. And the reason for that is, and this is for 500 years, basically, how books came to be as through traditionally traditional publishers. You know, they were just called publishers. Mm -hmm. And really over the past 25, 30 years has self-publishing and indie publishing become a booming industry. Now there have always been self-published books. Mark Twain was self-published for a while. And some of those books go on to be, you know, bestsellers. But for the 500 years of the publishing industry, the normal way to do it was through a publisher and self-publishing until very recently was sort of stigmatized and it was seen as less than. Maybe even when you self-publish your book, it, it was typical if you pulled a book off a shelf and you go, yeah, you know, it just doesn't look as good as a right. book in a bookstore. Yep. Today, the discrepancies in quality between a self-published book and a traditional book are very, very small and sometimes, you know, non-existent. Our, our mutual friend, Michael Bungay Stanier, self-published his book, Coaching Habit, to great success. It's a beautiful book. It's incredibly well done. Yeah. Illustrations, great cover, and he's in bookstores. And that uh, last I heard, the book sold three, over 300,000 copies. Wow. So a traditional book deal is that. A company is going to sign a contract with you. They're going to offer to take your idea and turn it into a book. You're going to write it. They're going to edit it, format it, print it, and distribute it. And in theory, help you sell it through their marketing and sales channels. So what a traditional publisher typically brings to the table is money. So ideally, they're going to pay you money. And what they're doing is they are buying the rights from you. So they're buying your intellectual property. They're buying the right to sell this. So it's your IP, you create it, and you are selling them the publishing rights. You maintain the copyright. It's still you and yours. And if that book ever goes out of print, uh, typically the rights revert back to you after a certain amount of years. But you're selling them the rights to do that. And typically, if you're going to sell a piece of it, your intellectual property, you want money for it. And so what they do is they pay you in advance on future royalties. So when I got a $5,000 advance, they were saying, this is what we think 
conservatively, this book is going to sell. We're going to sell enough copies that we can make our money back and we can pay you $5,000 in royalties. So they pay that up front. So now you've got some money to go you know, work on the book. And then if it recoups, meaning it sells as many copies as they expected, now for every copy after that, you get a percentage, which is typically anywhere from 10 to about 25% of usually the net sales of that book. And so if the book sells really well, you can continue to have a recurring revenue stream. So that's how it works. So they give you money. You know, there is sort of this question as to do publishers really know how to market books? And yes and no, they do know how to market books. But with the changing landscape, especially of online marketing, also the book publishing industry, it's just hard for large corporations to, you know, stay nimble. But what publishers know how to do well is get books into bookstores. And so when you signed your traditional book deal grant, one of the advantages that you're going to have with this book that you didn't have with your self-published book is you will have a sales team or at least a sales representative assigned to you and your book. And you'll have somebody who has relationships with Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, all the you know bookstores. And they will call the people who are in charge of ordering books for those bookstores. And they'll go, hey, we've got this new book, yeah. Grant Baldwin, big guy in the speaker industry. Do you want to we think it's going to sell this. And they basically take all the stuff that we gave the publisher. Here's this platform. Here's all this stuff. And they try to convince the bookstore to buy 10 copies per store from them. Right. Now that's getting harder and harder to do because you know there's limited shelf space, but there are still some advantages to working with a publisher who has really good relationships mm -hmm. with those different bookstores. So that, I mean, when publishers think of marketing and sales, that's kind of what they're thinking of. Yeah. Uh, somebody once said to me, I think this is true, that the author's customer is the reader and the publisher's customer is the bookstore. Hmm. I think that's very true. Right. Now, there are some big pros to that, right? If you are Tim Ferriss or Oprah or whatever, I mean, you've got a big name. It makes sense to get a $3 million book deal with a publisher because they're going to call Barnes & Noble and say, we've got Oprah's latest book. You need to buy 500 copies oh, okay. of it for every store. Yeah. And that book's going to sell a lot of copies, even in bookstores. Yeah. The obvious challenge is fewer and fewer people are buying books from brick and mortar bookstores. And so the publisher has a lot of sunk costs in that particular sales and marketing strategy that may or may not be useful you know, to you. And then they have, of course, they have distribution. So it's easier for a traditional deal, you know, traditional publishing deal for you to get a book in a bookstore than it is for Grant Baldwin, self-published author. Who does it make sense for that should be looking for a, a traditional book deal? So if I'm a speaker right now, what are the criteria? Because again, everybody just, th everybody thinks that that may be the golden goose. And in reality, right. like the, a speaker should be like selective in what they're looking for, but publishers are very selective in what they're looking for. Just yep. because you can write a book, just because you have a crazy story, just because you climbed Mount Everest blindfolded in shorts, it doesn't mean necessarily that there's, there's a book there. So what should each side be looking for? Or I guess from a speaker's perspective, what should they be looking for? And what do they need to be aware that the publisher is looking for? Do you say climb Mount Everest in blindfolded in shorts? There you go. That's probably, that probably somebody that's done. I, I, I want to read that book. <laughs> Yeah. So traditional book deals are for people who have very large platforms like you and are able to get a large book advance 
or they're for people that have just always dreamed of publishing a book and they are not interested in doing the work of self-publishing a book. It's a lot of work. It's hard to sell without a platform and it's just, you know, it's going to be expensive, right? Yeah. To self-publish a book well, Guy Kawasaki wrote a book about this called Eight, Author, Publisher, Entrepreneur. Uh, it's a great book on self-publishing and he estimates to self-publish a, a book well, you've got to spend about $3,000. So if you just want to book out into the world and you, and you don't have three grand and you don't necessarily have a business model where you're going to make that money back quickly, then you know get a traditional deal. Or if you've got an audience, you've got 20,000 plus email subscribers and you're able to get a fifty dollars to $100,000 advance because you've got a great idea and an, a growing audience, that's great. Do do that and get paid a lot of money to go write the book and put it out in the world. And that makes sense for two reasons. One, you just have to write it and they're going to do a lot of the work and you get a lot of money up front to go do it. And two, when a publisher spends a lot of money on a book, now they they have to market it. Right. Spend five, ten, twenty thousand dollars on a book and it doesn't recoup its advance, they move on. When they spend a hundred thousand dollars plus they've got some sunk costs in there. They have to spend another $20,000 marketing book. Right. So that's when a traditional deal makes sense. Would you say that the number one criteria that a publisher is looking for when they're considering a potential author is the platform? And if so, because having like having a big platform is kind of you know relative and subjective. So yeah. what determines what a big platform is to know that if a publisher would be interested in that? I asked the editor who acquired your book, our mutual friend, Chad Allen, because, mm -hmm. you know, in tribe writers and, and with my audience, there's a lot of writers who are very interested in getting a traditional deal. It, it, it feels like the golden egg, golden goose, golden something. feels like a big pile of gold. And I asked him this. I said, what is the minimum criteria for getting a book deal? And he said this. He said, look, like if somebody has a great idea and they don't have much of an audience, we'll occasionally take a risk on a book like that. We have to know that it makes sense. He goes, this is a business decision. So the first question is how are we going to make our money back? And the way you're going to make your money back is by the author marketing the book, really. And of course, you know, as soon as you say that's the rule, there's going to be an exception. Somebody goes and gets a book deal with no audience. Yeah. It happens a little bit in fiction and more literary genres where they have built-in mechanisms to sell books that are, that are big ideas without an audience. For what we're talking about, people that we're talking about, typically nonfiction, business, advice, how-to, it's all about audience. And what Chad said is, he goes, let me put it like this. If, if somebody has an email list with 5,000 people or more, he goes, that's a no-brainer. We'll do that deal. It won't be a huge deal but they'll pay money for a book uh, for somebody who has an audience that size because they're going to make their money back. And that's really what they're trying to do. I mean, you look at a dozen books that a publisher will publish in a year, and this is you know spitball math, but like half of them will lose money. Another three or four of them will break even. And then one, two, or three will be a big, big hit that will essentially pay for the losses of all the others. Yeah. It, and that's how it works. It's almost like like a I'm a figure like almost like a, a venture capital firm or something of like yeah gonna, it really is. We're gonna place bets on 25 different companies, yeah. and a lot of them are gonna be out of business in a year or two. But there may be like one or two or three right. that just blow up, and it makes mm -hmm. the whole thing worthwhile. And so you're just you're kind of placing bets, and it's not so, from a publisher standpoint, like they're just assessing the risk of if we take you on, that's if right. we give you money, are we gonna make more money than what you cost us? And yeah, kind of that's exactly right. 
Yeah, they are acquiring. They're acquiring your intellectual property. They're in a way buying a piece of your business. Yeah. Let's yeah. transition and talk about uh, self-publishing now. So okay. How is right. self-publishing different than traditional publishing? So traditional makes sense. You know, say if you're a speaker and you've got a large online following and you can just sell out of books by saying, you know, like Dan Pink is a great example of this. Well-respected speaker, but also has, you know, a large online following, good size email list, good size social following. So he can say, hey, I've got a book out and you know, five or 10,000 people will buy it like that, yeah. you know, he'll hit a bestseller list and then he'll go tour and speak on it and sell more and more copies of it. So that makes sense for a traditional deal. You're going to get a lot of money up front and you can sell books directly to your audience without necessarily having to go be a rogue warrior. A self-published book makes sense if maybe you don't have the online audience, but you were you, Grant, five, 10 years ago, and you're going to do a lot of gigs you're going to do 50 to 100 gigs every year. You're going to be speaking in front of whatever, 100,000 people by the end of the year. And you know that if you've got something that's out in the back of the room, people are going to buy it. Yeah. Well, that makes sense to self-publish because you can put a little bit of money in. You can spend your two or three grand or whatever it costs, and you are going to recoup that after a handful of speaking gigs. And it makes sense to self-publish it because you know if you, I mean, I don't know if you remember the numbers on, on your book, but say you sell a book for, 15 or 20 bucks. And depending on how you work that out, those books can cost you a buck a piece. Yep. And so now you're making $14 profit yeah. on a $15 book. Whereas if you take a traditionally published book that retails for $15.99 and you know, you're not buying it at cost, you're buying at a discount from the publisher for eight or nine bucks, mm-hmm. right? And you're selling it for 15. Now you're making $7 profit. You're still making a profit. It's right. decent. If you can speak in front of a lot of people and therefore move a lot of books, it makes sense to essentially bet on yourself, take the risk and put the three grand in, order the first thousand copies from the printer or whatever and hit the road. And so there's more risk and there's higher reward, but you have to be prepared to sell that book to people. Yeah. And just for some context in my own experience on that, you're exactly right. So we, we had self-published a, a paperback book. It was 192 pages. And our cost to print that was around a dollar per book. And mm-hmm. at the time, I know today Amazon has that. And I'm drawing a blank. What's the, the self-publishing kind of printing? Create space. Create space. That's right. And so at the time, though, that wasn't around. And so you couldn't right. really print in small quantities. You had to print big quantities. So we yeah. would order usually three, 4,000 copies at a time. And then so they would sit in our garage for months yeah. and months and months. <laughs> we started ordering bigger quantities, yeah. six, 8,000 copies that wow. might take us you know, a couple of pallets and take us maybe a year to burn through. Yeah. But yeah. it was just like, it was a lot of hustle and grind of just yeah. taking a case after case after case to an event, selling those into the financial point. Like you said, I may pay a dollar per book, but I may sell it for 10 back in the room. So I'm keeping nine of that versus like a traditionally published, I may sell the same book for 10 and they're keeping nine of it and I'm getting a dollar out of it or $2 out of it, right? So again, there, there's different pros yeah. and cons, but especially for speakers, if you're speaking a lot and you have a built-in audience there, a self-published book can really make a lot of sense from a financial perspective that you're putting a little bit in up front and you got a little bit more work up front, but the payoff long-term because you have that built-in audience can be very, very substantial. Yeah, yeah. And there's also the possibility that at some point, you may be stuck with 5,000 books in your garage. Totally. I was and so, worried about that frequently. <laughs> yeah. Or you just like, personally, I go, nah, too much hassle. Not interested. I'll just get a good book deal and push everybody to Amazon. Yeah. Uh, that'll, be, you know, that'll be good too. 
Now, in like that situation, the sales of my book were directly in alignment with my speaking yeah. business, meaning yeah. that as I cut back on the volume of speaking that I was doing, or at least to that audience, well, naturally, then book sales start falling. And I have a lot of books mm -hmm. in the garage. So what, what do I do at this point? Right. So you yeah. want to make sure that you've got that that alignment there. So. Right. All right. So from a self-publishing standpoint, then like a speaker or whoever it is, like they're doing everything. Is that fair to say? When they're writing their book? Yeah, from writing to editing to cover Absolutely. design to yeah. layout to format to all the, like, yeah. I know when I did it, like all the things, like you just don't even think about yeah, finding yeah. It's a UPC code and, and yeah. you know, registering it with these various, you know, Library of Congress control yeah. number and all these different things that you're just like, yeah. what the heck is this stuff? You have to do all that stuff, right? Yeah. You're now no longer just an author, you're a publisher. Yeah. You're a printer, you're a book distributor. These are all distinct mechanisms right? When you and I finish your book, your traditionally published book grant, it's going to go to multiple editors, over a dozen proofreaders. It's going to go through an entire design team that they're going to lay out the book. They're going to design the cover. It's going to go through a production team that goes, this is how we make the book. This is how many we're going to make. It's going to go through a sales process where people are calling bookstores all over the world saying, hey, do you want to carry this? It's going to go through a book distributor. You know, so publishers print the book. They send it to a book distributor. The book distributor then sends it to all the bookstores. I mean, this is a 500-year-old industry that has worked really well for a long time, and technology has just very quickly caught up with it. So it is possible for you to wear all those hats, but make no mistake, it is a lot of hats. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's absolutely, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of work. So for someone who's interested in, in a self-publishing deal, uh, and I guess it's not even necessarily a deal. Is there times where if you're doing a lot of speaking engagements, that's naturally going to make more sense than doing a traditional route? Is there any other like circumstances where it makes more sense to just do the self-publishing thing? Like, like one thing that comes to mind is just control, right? Yeah. Um, so like you and I and the process that we're in, you and I have a vote, but there's a publisher that put yeah, up a bunch right. of money. They have a big mm -hmm. vote as well in terms sure. of what the title is, what the cover is going to be, all those things yeah. that were like, no, nah, we don't want to do that. Well, they wrote a big check that says, no, we get to choose, you know, what right. it's going to be. Versus <laughs> like when you're self-publishing, you, you have 100% control of that. So yeah. any other things to think through or be aware of? I will say, just so you know, usually the publisher is going to side with the author on, on those things where you stand firm. But you're right. I mean, you, you have a business partner now. Yeah. And it does make sense if you have a large audience and you're willing to do all that stuff and you know that if you work with a publisher, you're still going to be selling most of those books. Mm -hmm. It makes sense for you to just go sell those books because you'll make more money doing it. Yeah. One of the reasons why traditional publishing makes sense for me, and I think for this book makes sense for you, is if you have an idea bigger than you, you can send it to your audience. You can sell those first 10, 20,000 copies. But then once it's out in the world, it starts taking on a life of its own. And that's really exciting for the publisher. They'll put more money in it. They'll put more effort towards it. And that's when you can sell 50, 100,000 million plus copies. Doesn't always happen, rarely happens, but it's easier. It's easier for something to scale when you've got a huge organization and system working for you. Yeah. But if that's, obviously you don't know if that's going to happen, but if you go, look, I've got my audience of 10,000 people. They love me. I know they want this book for me. I'm going to sell it directly to them and I'm going to do all the work to do that and it'll be fine. Yeah. Then that's great. That, that makes sense to self-publish. And I think anybody who's interested in publishing a book should do both at some point so that you understand both sides of it. And I've done both. You will have done both soon. And now you know, okay, cool. They do this. 
that's great. I do this. And every book deal, you know, there are pros and cons to going, okay, I, I actually know that I could do this, or I know what you're talking about here. And it's not as hard as you're saying it is or whatever. But yeah, I think self-publishing makes sense if you can't get a large advance and you're willing to do the work and you have a built-in audience, whether it's speaking or a blog, podcast audience that you know, like this book is for them. They're going to buy it directly from you and you're going to be doing all the marketing anyway. Then it makes sense for you to just hang on to it. Cool. All right, let's talk about yeah. hybrid for a second. So what is yeah. hybrid publishing? Because this is something that's really, like you mentioned, kind of been on the scene only in the last, you know, I don't know, five, 10 years or whatever. What is the blend of the of the two worlds? Yeah, so it's exactly that. Hybrid is something that's not you doing all the work and it's not the publisher doing most of what they normally do. A hybrid deal would be like you take your self-published book and a publisher says, hey, we want to distribute this. We want to either uh, buy the rights from you or can you license this book to us? And, and so you are partnering with them in a non-traditional way where they're not simply buying the publishing rights. You're, you're doing something that Grant is still doing this. He's still retaining some ownership here of you know this, this, and this, but you're going to do this. Another example of this would be um, Hugh Howey did this. Uh, he's a science fiction author, self, very successful uh, self-published author, wrote a book called Wool, um, came out, it's just a Kindle book sold, I don't know, half a million copies or something, sold a ton of copies. Simon & Schuster got really interested in it and they bought the print rights from him, but he kept the ebook rights because once an ebook is formatted and it's distributed digitally, it's on every channel. You know, It's on Amazon, it's on Nook, it's on all the channels. It's there. You don't have to worry about having 5,000 books in your garage. So that, that work is done. Working with a publisher doesn't if you, people are continuing to buy it and they're not going to market it any more than you already are, it doesn't matter. It's already distributed. But print book, as you know, takes up space. There are a lot of logistical issues of getting it into bookstores. And so they paid him like a million bucks or something to get the print rights. And so that'd be a hybrid deal. He retained the Kindle, the ebook rights, and they had print exclusivity. Another example is when I wrote The Art of Work, which was my fourth book, that was with a you know, good-sized publisher, working with HarperCollins, nice advance. But somebody told me to keep the audio rights. And this is something that is publishers are doing less and less of now because they're getting savvy about audiobooks. But a few years ago, they're like, yeah, what? Like, literally, I signed the book. I go, hey, is it any problem? Is it any trouble for me to just keep the audio rights? They're like, sure, we don't care about that. Typically, publishers sell the rights to an audiobook company. And it's called subrights. And so this is something in your book deal that we ask them not to do because now they're going to sell it to another publisher and now you're going to get a percentage of a percentage. And that just doesn't make sense because it costs maybe a few thousand dollars to record an audiobook. And so I retained that. I went to a studio in Nashville, recorded the audiobook, and I still own the audio rights to that book. And that book was a bestseller, sold really well. And I don't know if you do this. I do this. I, I buy a book, sits on my desk for a few days. I go, I'm just going to get the audio book, you know? <laughs> and, and that's kind of what happened is, is a lot of people bought the audio book and that makes, I don't know, like a thousand dollars a month to this day, yeah. three years later. So it sounds like both of those were hybrid model of something that was somewhat already in existence. So if I said, mm, um, yeah. I want, you know, here's a here's the big concept. Here's the big idea for this. I'm going back and forth. Do I want to traditionally publish? I got some publishers that are interested. I don't know. Maybe I should just self-publish. What would the blend be like? Where would I even go yeah. to figure out what makes sense as a hybrid? So a hybrid deal makes sense if you have a publisher interested in your work 
And yet you either have experienced self-publishing or you just are savvy enough to know what you're going to do and how it's going to work out. You know that you, you can do something better or as good as they can. I can publish an audiobook as good as a publisher because it's not that hard uh, today because you don't need CDs anymore. You just have to upload it to acx.com, which distributes to Audible, iTunes, et cetera. So it's not that hard. So a hybrid deal would be saying, I know what I bring to the table. I bring something to the table and you bring something to the table. So let's partner together. And it would be you typically retaining rights over something and then giving up rights, you know, say you retain the ebook rights. This is typically what hybrid deals are. You retain digital because you know how to do that. That's very easy to do compared to print. Mm-hmm. Publishing a book on Kindle literally could be free. You could write a, a, a book in Microsoft Word. It would be kind of ugly. You could write a book in Microsoft Word, you know, to design something in Microsoft Paint. I don't think that exists anymore, but never, <laughs> you know, days. Oh, okay. days. Yeah, you could design a cover and you could literally upload it to Amazon, even as a Word document, they, they would convert it for you today. And you could have an ebook for sale tomorrow. So it costs a few thousand dollars to self-publish a print book. It costs like, if you're doing it well, a few hundred bucks to do an ebook. So that's an area where lots of authors are retaining those rights. But then they're going, hey, I don't want to mess with the formatting and the printing and the distribution. You take the print rights. That would be a hybrid deal. Right. What about like a, a model like a uh, like a Greenleaf or a, a book in a box, some of those type of options? When does it make sense to, to explore those? Maybe define the, what those those are. Yeah. I don't know Greenleaf. I don't know what that is. Basically, book in a box. There are these, there are these deals, you know, and, and they kind of call themselves hybrid publishers. I guess they are, but it would be, I don't want to do all that work, but I want to retain, I don't, I don't want to give up 85% of the sales, right? Yeah. So a traditional book deal, you're going to make, like I said, on the low end, probably 10% royalty uh, and on the high end, 25% of the, the sales. And so book in a box, book in a box is, is, is something where you pay a large sum of money up front, 10, 20, $30,000 to get a book. And they go, here, your book's done. It's distributed. There you go. And then there are other smaller publishing companies that are basically doing self-publishing for you and they're keeping some of the money and they're giving you more of the money. And, and often it's a 50-50 split instead of like an 85-15 split. I think those can be worth it if you just really need a book, you know, and you want to get a book out into the world, or they're doing more than what you could figure out by watching a handful of YouTube videos. So I'm actually pretty, because you've got sort of hybrid deals with traditional publishers. I think that makes sense. Then you've got what are called hybrid publishers or vanity presses, or, you know, there's a bunch of names for it. Basically, they're just doing self-publishing for you. I'm pretty leery of that because you can figure that out just Googling some stuff. Now, if they're just a legitimate small publishing company and they want to do a a 50-50 deal with you, that's cool. I think a company that's doing well at this is Morgan James and they call it entrepreneurial publishing. They typically do no advances up front, 50-50 royalty split. So Ray Edwards has done a deal with them, Jeff Walker, Russell Brunson, if he's worked with them or not, I think he has, but they're working specifically with like internet entrepreneurs who can sell a lot of books. They don't need a publisher. They need a printer and they need somebody to distribute the books and and sell it for them, but they don't want to give up most of the sales because they know they're going to be generating 80, 90% of the sales. So that makes sense because they are an actual publisher. They get it and they understand that you're going to do all the marketing and they're going to print and distribute the book and that's their job and that's your job. And so they're willing to give up, you know, a larger slice of the pie 
for it. And I think that can work so long as you understand what you're getting and what you're giving. But if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So it sounds like for anybody you know who's watching or listening, they just need to think through what makes the most sense for them and their business model and what yeah. they're trying to accomplish. Then also even just what their skill set is. So I knew for me, like when I self-published, I knew uh, my sister is a graphic designer yeah. and she knew how to do a, a layout of a book. She also naturally happened to be a, a very good editor. So I had a few pieces in place that I knew could help me on yeah. a few of those things versus if you're just like, I have no clue where to even begin. I have no desire to learn that yeah. stuff. Maybe, and like to your point, like maybe it's like, I don't want to deal with the the physical or the digital side. I would love to do the audiobook. That sounds super interesting. Mm -hmm. You just know that going into, yeah. you know, some type of traditional deal of, hey, this is the piece that I want. This is the piece I want you to have and maybe work out some type of hybrid. So it sounds like there's no like, this is the way hybrid works. It's kind of, it can look different for anybody depending on what they're looking for. Hybrid publishing is any blend of traditional and self-publishing. Got it. Awesome. Yep. Cool. Any final words of wisdom as someone's just kind of going through this process going, all right, I got a book in me and I'm just trying to figure out all the different options and where I go from here. What, what do yeah. I do next? Yeah, I know it's kind of overwhelming. I boil it down to this. If, because people often go traditional or self-publishing or hybrid publishing. Look, if no traditional publishers are knocking on your door right now, then don't imagine a scenario that's not real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody asked me if I knew of anybody who wanted, to, who, could, who could publish a book and sell a bunch of copies. I said, I think Grant could do that. Somebody, a publisher came knocking on your door. You weren't looking for a book deal. So if that's not happening, that probably means either you're just not out there as much or your audience isn't as big or people just don't know about you. But it could also just mean like, it's just, you're just not ready for that. Yeah. And that's okay. If you still want to publish a book, assess what your real options are. And for most people, your best option and your only option is to self-publish. And that's a really good option. Yeah. And this idea that you, if you self-publish now, you can't traditionally publish later. Not true. This is what you're doing, Grant. You self-publish a book, you sell 30,000 copies of it. You're good. Lots of publishers are going to want to work with you. Yeah. Um, so to boil it down to one thing, for most aspiring authors, it's good to, to self-publish. And there are incredible resources like createspace.com that make it very, very easy for you to do this cheaply and well and be on Amazon tomorrow. And yeah. so for most people, that's the best option. But it's good to understand all these different options. And the more complex and hybrid-y and all of it gets, just the more time it's going to take, the more research you're going to have to do. And understand that this is time and energy that you're spending on this that you could be spending on speaking, hanging out with your family, growing your business, what doing other things that you may enjoy more. Right. So it's okay to go, I don't really want to, you know, deal with all that. Yeah. I'm going to just, even working with a handful of people and, and using create space um, would be a great start for most people. Cool. Very good. Hey, uh, if people want to find out more about you, what you're up to, where can we go? Like I want to get to a point where Seth Godin says, you know, just Google Seth. You know, he's like the number one Seth. <laughs> Google Jeff. I'm Google Jeff Goins. Yeah, go to my my blog is goinswriter.com. I help writers and creatives succeed. Go there and learn more about me. Cool. Thanks for the time, man. We appreciate you. Thank you. 
All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Goins. Again, I would encourage you, encourage you, encourage you, make sure that you check out this new training that we've got over at thespeakerlab.com slash beyond. Again, you can find that over at thespeakerlab.com slash beyond. We're going to be walking through, again, a step-by-step process of exactly how you can begin to build your business beyond the stage. All right, so make sure, again, you register for that training over at thespeakerlab.com slash beyond. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode 199 next week. Next week, you're not going to want to miss. It's going to be episode 200. We're extremely excited about it. We've been working on this actually for a couple months now and are very happy with how it's come together. So be on the lookout for episode 200 next week. We'll talk to you then. You're awesome. Awesome.